0: Christopher Edge is an award-winning author of books such as the Penny Dreadful series starring Penelope Treadwell and a quartet of science-led stories including The Many Worlds of Albie Bright and The Jamie Drake Equation. He's also an experienced editor and has written books on the skills and the craft of writing for young people. It's always great fun to invite Christopher into the Reading Corner and last year we chatted about The Longest Night of Charlie Noon. You can still find this episode in our archive of past recordings if you'd like to listen in. But today we're going to be talking about a book for readers from around eight upwards, wittily titled Space Oddity. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome back Christopher Edge.
1: Thank you, Nick. You love to be here.
0: So much to talk about with this book. And let's start at the beginning because it's a little bit different to other things that you've written in as much as there's this tiny print at the back of the book that explains that this was from an original idea uh, by somebody called Sarah Ryan. What's all of that about?
1: Yes. So this is a book that I was approached to write by, by the publisher Chicken House and they learn a competition with the Blair Partnership, the kind of talent agency called the Big Idea Competition, where people can send in ideas for stories, basically, and those stories might become books, they might become films or television series, and Chicken House have have published several of these over the year. There was a book Sky Chasers by Emma Carroll, a book called The Fandom, by Anna Day. And these are stories that had kind of had a spark that started from this big idea competition. So when, when Chicken House, they received this idea from Dr. Sarah Lyon, who's actually a scientist, by trade, I think, and she had an idea about an alien family on Earth and the, 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 the boy who thought he was human discovering he was an alien. So that was the kind of the beginning idea. And I took that. And I think to write anything, you have to make an idea your own. So I kind of took that initial idea and gave us a bit of a twist I thought actually what I was interested in is a boy with maybe a dad who's an alien and a mum who's, who's a human and then it allowed me to kind of explore ideas, questions of identity and things like that so mm-hmm. yeah I, I think to write anything, it's, it's great to have the spark to, to kick you off but then to write something you have to then to make it your own and find the interest in that idea for yourself as to write it.
0: Absolutely. And I'm going to say uh, that you have absolutely done that. Uh, As I read it, I know it's a Christopher Edge book um, um, and we're going to talk about some of the reasons why. Maybe uh, we should just give listeners a brief overview of what the story is. And then uh, there are some themes that I'd like to talk about uh, from uh, the book. But let's set it up for the readers. First of all, what happens? How come this alien dad is on Earth?
1: Well, when I was approaching the idea, I thought, well, how would that alien have got here on Earth? And I, had an idea. I was listening to the radio and Space Oddity" uh, by David Bowie came on, and I'm a huge David Bowie fan. But as I was listening to the song, which you know, is that song about Major Tom drifting off into outer space, I, I remembered the fact that, you know, the, all the radio and television signals that we listen to here on Earth, some of them escape from the Earth's atmosphere and travel out into space. So since Bowie released that single back in 1969, some of those radio waves carrying that song, you know, escape from the Earth's atmosphere then, have been travelling across space into the galaxy at the speed of light. So I, I imagined an alien sitting in his spaceship, you know, somewhere outside, maybe outside the Earth cloud, kind of picking up that song, listening to it on his receiver, maybe thinking it not realising it was a song, maybe thinking it was a distress call Mm. and coming to Earth to try and rescue Major Tom. Mm. And when he gets to Earth, obviously, landing on the planet, meeting an Earthling, falling in love, and then settling down and having a family. Mm. Uh, So that was the premise of how Jake's alien dad got here on Earth. Mm. But as the story starts, Jake's a normal 10-year-old boy who just thinks he's got the most embarrassing dad in the universe, because if there's there's an embarrassing situation to be had, Jake's dad will find a way to make it 10 times worse. Mm.
0: I have to say, it's a genius idea, that uh, idea of Bowie's song drifting up there, because it is the most plaintive of songs. And, oh, my gosh, it's so emotional. Yeah. Uh, And you can imagine somebody picking this up as a distress signal. It's uh, just wonderful. So I think it would be really good now to
1: hear... Um, a bit of the story yes so this is a part of the story where where jake's dad's just revealed to jake that he's an alien but jake has accidentally uh set off a kind of cosmic distress call using the quintessence this heart of ion spaceship and that's attracted these killer robots who are now looking for jake and his dad to kind of eradicate this alien life that shouldn't be on earth so, they've just clambered, they're escaping through the woods and have found uh, a zorbing point. So, they've climbed in some inv- inflatable zorbs to try and damp down their signals they're sending out. But then the killer robots discover them and are hovering just outside this zorb that Jake and his dad are trapped inside. So, I'll just read you that, that part from that point of the story. Close up, they look more like robots. Silvery metallic shapes glinting inside the spheres of glowing light. Fear coils inside my mind as I stare into the brightness. I want to move. I want to run. But we're trapped inside this inflatable idiot ball and there's nothing I can do. There's a crackle of static and then I feel the air start to harden around us. I turn towards my dad and see the look of panic spreading across his face too. Outside the inflatable globe, the three glowing spheres seem to brighten, and I wince as I wait for the silent explosion of light. Dad said we'd find an A to Z of adventure here, but I didn't think this would mean being zapped by aliens while trapped in a Zorb. Then I remember it's my dad who's the alien, and maybe me too, but we're still stuck inside this Zorb. Suddenly, an idea hits me out of nowhere, a lightning flash of inspiration that gets me reaching for the dangling straps. We don't need to get out of here to escape. We just need to move. Hold on tight, I shout, poking my toes into the rubber footholes at the base of the, of the zorb. I pull the Velcro belts across my shoulders and my stomach, pulling them tight as I try to strap myself in. Realising what I'm doing, Dad does the same. Facing each other, we grab hold of the handles on the opposite sides of the Zorb's inner core, our arms and legs outstretched as we stand there, defenceless. Through the transparent plastic, the blue-white light seems brighter than the moon, and if we're going to do it, it has to be now. Let's go! Holding tight to the handles, we rock our bodies backwards and forwards as, with a reluctant squeaking noise, Zorb begins to move. It starts to roll forward, slowly at first, pushing open the metal gate as I feel myself turned upside down. The blood rushes to my head and then drains away almost immediately as the Zorb continues to roll. I can hear the ground rumbling beneath us as the brightness fades away and is replaced by an onrushing dark. We're picking up speed, the inflatable plastic squelching around us as the Zorb careers down the slope. I seem to have left my stomach behind as the floor of the zarb turns into the ceiling and then back into the floor over and over again. I feel like I'm spinning around a black hole, the gravity getting stronger as a giant ball bounces past the trees. I want to get off. My knuckles whiten as I cling to the handles, my mouth opening wide in a scream, but no sound comes out as I'm flicked back over again and gravity pushes a scream back down my throat. I've made a mistake. Being zapped by killer robots would have been a quicker way to die. I catch a glimpse of my dad as we tumble over again, and I see the massive grin on his face. Whee! I don't believe it. He's actually enjoying this. Every bump in the track sends a Zorb flying higher. It feels like we're traveling at 100 miles an hour. And through the plastic walls, the darkness seems to blur. I don't know which way is up or down anymore. The only thoughts inside my head are a spin cycle of fear. Woohoo! Dad shouts, Eat Zorb dust, killer robots! The inflatable ball crashes into a bank, bouncing sideways as it clears the trees, and I catch a glimpse of the tents in the field. Oh no, how are we going to stop?
0: Brilliant. I think what that uh, little episode gives for us is a real sense of there is jeopardy in this. There is adventure and there is a lot of humour. Um, and if anybody wants to know whether Jake's going to stop or not, they're just going to have to read the rest of the book. So two sides, really, two or two strands to this story. One is the, oh, I was going to say the human story, but the relationship story uh, about Jake and his father. I mean, he's hugely embarrassed by his dad because he doesn't really know what's going on. So where does that lead Jake and his father?
1: Well, Jake's kind of quite alienated. (laughs) That's a good word, isn't it? (laughs) Alienated from his dad in a way because, you know, his dad is so embarrassed. You know, if his dad's in the supermarket... And the supermarket till starts kind of beeping at him. He'll start aiming the, the uh the supermarket kind of price tag gun to kind of zap it, thinking it's about to attack him like a killer robot. So Jake's dad does some terrible things. So at the school fair, you know, he builds a, a giant Lego spaceship that then escapes from its moorings and, and nearly crushes the year fives and jumps on stage in the school concert dressed as a very bad Darth Vader and starts taking part and ruining Jake's big moment because Jake's doing a gymnastics routine. So any way that Jake can be embarrassed by his daddy is. But Jake's dad's not doing it to embarrass Jake. Jake's dad is, in a way, doing it out of love. He wants to be close to Jake. He wants to share these experiences with Jake. But Jake doesn't recognise at the time. And so part of what the story is about is about Jake coming to understand who his dad is but also why his dad acts like he does and, and 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 realizing the love that his dad does have for him and 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 which is the thing that kind of drives the second half of the story which is when jake's dad actually gets taken away from earth by a giant mothership because he's actually broken the rules of the universe by coming to this primitive planet that's been actually being kept away from the rest of the universe so the second half of the story is in a way jake having to rescue his dad. And it's his love for his dad that, that obviously drives that.
0: It's, it's a very funny book. There's a lot of humour in here. As we said, it's slightly younger than um, yeah. your other writing. Um, and a lot of that comes... There's so many opportunities for language play and bad puns as well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love a bad pun. I love a bad pun, yeah. <laughs>
0: Can we talk about some of those language choices? What about his dad's name to begin with? Yes, yeah, so his
1: dad's called Ion Jones and his dad claims to be from Wales. He's actually from a, a planet uh, near that orbits a star called Proxima B. Uh so Ion obviously you've got the the connection with the physics of you know, this putative, fast and life light, light drive that's called an Ion drive. But I also thought it's quite similar to the kind of Welsh spellings of names a little bit. And Jones, he's called Ion Jones, which is obviously a good Welsh name, but it's also a little bit of a tribute to David Bowie's original name, because David Bowie was mm-hmm. David Jones. Because Bowie's song brought Jake's Dad to Earth, Jake's Dad is a huge David Bowie fan there's a little tribute in his name there
0: mm,
1: yeah
0: well we're talking about Welsh names the planet that he comes from now can you actually say it
1: in <laughs> no no I can light it but I can't say it. I had a very amusing experience when the audio when because this is coming out as an audio book in January too and obviously someone had to actually say this word and uh, this word I'll have a go at it but the person who's recorded the uh, the audio book has has done a much better job, which is why he got the job of reading it. It's... That's the name of Jake's Jake's dad's home planet. But that's actually a little tribute to the Welsh town with the longest name, clan whatever it is. I'm not going to attempt it. So basically the name of Jake's dad's home planet is exactly the same as that name, of that Welsh town, but we have every left of the transposed one up. So the L becomes an M, the M becomes an N, and that gave me that. And that's a strange tribute to a Welsh band that I love called Superfury Animals, who did a, an EP called The Name of That Welsh Town in Space.
0: I love it. I, I, this is part of what came through um, with the book, it felt to me like you'd really enjoyed writing it. It, that, you it was know, that's fun,
1: it. yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I mean, this is the first book, first novel that I've ever had that's been illustrated with interior illustration. It was wonderful seeing Ben Mantle bring his imagination to it and mm. put those pictures in because my older books obviously aren't illustrated because they aimed at slightly older readers. Yeah. But with with this one... It was lovely to kind of really embrace the humour and kind of putting some of my love of things like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and things like that Mm. into this story was was a lot of fun, something I enjoyed doing. Can we
0: just talk a little bit about the audio side? You've talked about your audio uh, reader coming to you um, over the name of that planet. And there are quite a few musical references in here that are written phonetically, which I had great fun with. I, I think... After going down the false track of thinking it was the Beach Boys at one point and trying to put Barbaran in there, I yeah. eventually worked out that it was Star Wars. I should have been able to do it quicker than that, but it was the Bar-Bars that did it for me. And it it, it looks like this, Bar-Bar, 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 bar, 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 bar,
1: bar. Right, well, that is actually, How does it go? <laughs> that is a Star Wars theme tune, rendered phonetically. It's like, ba ba. That kind of thing, and then later on in the story, when this giant mothership comes down to uh, take Jake's dad away for trespassing on planet Earth, there's a, a five-note phonetically represented theme which goes dun 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 dun, dun <laughs> which is obviously the Close Encounters theme that yeah. comes when the spaceship comes down. But in the story. After Jake hears that for the first time, he's able to use this device called the quintessence, which translates any alien language. And he realises that this dun-dun-dun-dun-dun theme is actually saying, caution, spaceship reversing, caution, spaceship reversing. So, yeah. It was quite fun to put these little musical interludes into the book because obviously kind of music's a big part of the story too.
0: It is. It is. And uh, you mentioned the quintessence there which is this it's the heart of Ion's spaceship. Tell us just a little bit about it.
1: Ion's spaceship when he came to earth because it's it's illegal for advanced alien civilizations to to visit what are what are called P-class planets, primitive worlds where the residents of those worlds aren't as advanced. Because basically what's happened is the advanced alien civilization that exists throughout the universe have have basically been able to watch the Earth's news and you think about the impression of the planet you'd get from just watching the news they've not got a very good impression of planet earth so they've put it in what's called a cosmic zone of exclusion so you're not allowed to come here so when jake's dad lands on earth his spaceship is destroyed by these other aliens who who don't want to let him be there but all that survives is is the quintessence which is kind of a small egg-shaped device but it has so much functionality it puts your iphone a shame it can translate alien languages it can send a quantum distress flare across the universe to let everyone know you are here lots of different amazing things that you could do but it just looks like a pebble mm-hmm. so when jake's dad reveals that this is an amazing piece of advanced alien technology jake just thinks his dad's showing him a stone mm. originally in the first draft of the story that device was called the finger Magic. Ah. And then I had a conversation with my editor and we decided that wasn't quite capturing the (laughs) the beauty of this device. So I came up with the idea, the the word quintessence, kind of represented it better.
0: That's Actually, that's a lovely name for it. Um, I don't think it's giving too much away to say that the alien species, Mm. many of them, look upon Earth as being primitive. But Mm. Earth has something that they don't have. Yeah. And that is around music and the arts yes. and we might be imperfect in lots of ways, but this is something to be celebrated and that yeah. comes through as well. So tell us a little bit more about music in the book and why it's so important.
1: Well, I was finishing the, fi- the finals after the book during the first days of, of, of lockdown. And one of the beautiful things that came out in the lockdown, there was these things called Twitter listening parties that Tim Burgess out of the band, the Charleston set up, where he invited different musicians to talk about their albums and everyone played the music at the same time and then tweeted along with their thoughts and feelings. And what that reminded me of is this unifying power that music has to bring people together and to share emotions. And the greatest songs, you know, in just three or four minutes can encapsulate huge ranges of human experience. So the music in the story, Jake and his dad want to convince the cosmic authority who who, who is in charge of this decision to keep Earth separate from the rest of the universe, to convince them that Earth deserves to be in this cosmic community of, of stars. So they kind of use music to show what humanity can be, but also to bring them together. So you know, I thought I, I had a kind of idea of an intergalactic listening party and this kind of like this music bringing together humanity with these alien races. And there's a, a scene near the end of the book where there's a kind of vast theatre on this giant spaceship filled with every type of alien you could imagine, all listening to David Bowie's Space Auditor.
0: We're going to have to talk about aliens now.
1: Aliens, yes. (laughs) Let's talk about the Gesundheit.
0: Yes. (laughs) There's a serious aspect to this, isn't it? You've got a dedication at the beginning, not a dedication, an epigram from Arthur C. Clarke. And in your author's note at the end, you um, acknowledge the physicist um, Enrico Fermi, 1950s. Um, which is all about could alien life come to Earth? Does alien life exist or not? What are your best understandings at this point in time? What do you think about life out there?
1: Yeah, so the Fermi paradox was this physicist, Enrico Fermi, who was working, I think, in America at the time. And they were sitting down and they were kind of talking to a couple of his colleagues about the size of the universe and what we knew about it and how many stars there are and possibility of alien life being out there. And the number of planets that should be out there, potentially like her, should mean that the chances of alien life are quite high. But the fact that we haven't seen a trace of them, no messages received. So I wanted to write a story which was about a, you know, a universe teeming with aliens. So Jake's dad, Ion, is is obviously quite a humanoid alien. So he's in the best kind of Doctor Who tradition. And the other aliens that exist in the story I kind of around ideas of the, you know, the the vast possibility of what aliens could be. We've got a, a race of alien guards called the Gazundai, who communicate solely by scent. So they kind of waft noxious emissions to kind of communicate their words. So for Jake, it's like being slapped in a lift of the most flatulent aliens in the universe. And there's another alien, which is the Photo 4, which uses light to communicate and some of this is taken from ideas about how different animals around in the natural world kind of communicate and I kind of took those ideas and kind of applied them to cosmic alien races so that was quite a lot of fun.
0: Fantastic just thinking about alien encounters and you know there have been lots that were reported in the 1950s, often in forests and remote places, which of course is where your yeah. alien camp is. So my question here really is whether you have ever seen anything that could have been an alien encounter.
1: I don't think I have. I'd have loved to have done. I have know people who've said they've seen UFOs, but I haven't personally.
0: I once saw okay. something very strange looking from the Essex coast to the Kent coast um, and okay. lots of strange lights and things, but I think that was military
1: testing. Well, because this, the, the idea because in, in the story, this is the place where Jake's dad originally landed in this place called Middlewich Forest, and there's a little statue of a kind of alien space that's been left in this forest to kind of mark this supposed sighting that was seen 12 years ago. But well, that's actually based on... There's a forest in East Anglia called Rendlesham Forest. It's a a famous UFO incident that happened at the start of the 1980s called the Rendlesham incident where these lights were seen and then the military from the nearby US Air Base went out to investigate and think they they saw an alien spacecraft in the trees. And if you go into Rendlesham Forest now, there's a statue there like in the story
0: that's been Mm. left to
1: mark that. So, yeah, uh, that was kind of one of the inspirations behind ION's landing site in the story.
0: All these things are there for readers to discover. Yes. And, you know, that's the, that's the kind of dialogue between writing and reading, isn't it? <laughs> As always, it's so much fun to talk to you. And, you know, there's always so much more behind your books um, for us to discover through conversation. It's been such a pleasure, Chris.
1: Lovely chatting to you too, Nikki. Thank you.
0: In the Reading Corner is presented by Nicky Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do leave a review for us. To find out about other projects, including an audience with events and the Exploring Children's Literature Summer School, visit www.exploringchildrensliterature.uk. Join us again soon in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.